Well, good morning, everybody. If you would, go ahead and turn to Philippians 4. That's where we will be this morning. We got to conclude chapter 3 last week, as Pastor Kyle taught us through the last couple of verses there. And we will now get to kick off chapter 4, as he signals me to move my mic closer. There we go. Is this good? Kyle, is this all right? All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> but, as I said, we got to conclude chapter 3 last week, and we'll get to dive in to the first three verses of chapter 4 this week. So before we get going here, as you make your way there, those read Philippians 4, 1 through 3, reads, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sentuhe to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Father, be with us this morning as we dive into the scriptures. God bless this time and help us renew our minds. God, fix them on you, fix our eyes on you, plant our hearts deeper in who you are. God, please just make us more wise and more aware of what you're doing here in Milledgeville, but also in each individual life in here. So God, we come before you humble, needy, and wanting more of you, God. Be the one who speaks this morning. Let this morning be genuine worship to you. Let our lives, as we leave here, be an obedient response to all that you are. God, and for the one in here who does not know you yet, may they come to know you this morning, God, as you lift the veil from their eyes, as you make them aware of your majesty. So, Father, we step into that as you hold us. We praise you, and we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. So as we can see in verse 1, there's this call to stand firm thus in the Lord. And this really weighed heavy on me this morning because I feel like, and, and in all the preparation leading up to this morning, I feel like a lot of times we see these things in Scripture and, and we see them as what we would think to be encouraging calls. We don't really ever stop to see why we should stand firm, and I thought it would be a good time for us just to level here this morning, and that we see Scripture's call to stand firm, but I feel like many of us may not even feel like standing this morning. We all come in here with different types of hurts and struggles, and we can read these promises of Scripture, we can read these commands of Scripture to stand firm thus in the Lord. But what about those of us who are coming in here limping this morning who don't even have the willpower to stand? As we all carry our sufferings, our burdens in here this morning, it's, we'd be remiss if we just read this and we treated it like something we shouldn't respond to outside of just hearing it. When the fact is, it's a command, stand firm thus in the Lord. The one true foundation, but it doesn't excuse the fact, again, that some of us may be coming in here feeling like we can't even stand under the weight of life, under the weight of the next decision you're having to make, under the weight of what you're going to have to go through later today, this week, what you're going through this morning, the very thing you're coming in here with, carrying on your own shoulders. So we see this call to stand firm, thus in the Lord. And a lot of times when we look at what life is offering us and we see the command to stand firm in our Savior, we don't really see the connection between the two. When we just read verse 1 by itself and says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. It sounds great and it sounds like a battle cry, but we need to see the foundation on which we stand Firm For whatever you're carrying in here this morning and feel like you may not even be able to stand, we can look back in, ver in chapter 3, verse 21, in why we stand firm and who we stand firm in. That verse reading, Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
So that's going to be the foundation we build off of this morning and just leveling with one another, understanding that not all of us in this room, maybe not even a one, have it all put together, have it all figured out. Matter of fact, Scripture promises the opposite, that this life is a valley until we reach the Lord, until we're called home. So stepping into vulnerability, stepping into honesty as a true community this morning, that very thing that's on the forefront of your mind is nothing compared to the foundation of the Lord you're called to stand firm in. So as you hear where we kick off this morning, the call to stand firm thus in the Lord, don't just excuse it, don't just write it off, don't hear what Paul is writing and saying here and think, yeah, Paul, that's good and well, but you wouldn't understand how my home is falling apart. You wouldn't understand how I have to get these grades this semester in school and there's no way I'm going to, so all hope is lost. You, you don't understand that I hate my job, but I have to work it to provide for myself, for spouse, for eventual spouse. Whatever you're carrying in the forefront of your mind that you think the foundation of the Lord can't meet, go ahead and understand the fact that Christ is the one who holds us with the power that even enables him to subject all things to himself. Whatever suffering you're carrying in here this morning is not outside the realm of God. God isn't only present in your suffering. He is actively working it out for your betterment and his glory. It's one of my biggest pet peeves is we see these bumper stickers, we see cheap encouragements that remind each other and whatever we're going through, God's got this. He's with you in this. My friends, I would offer, he's not just with you. He doesn't just have this proverbial suffering. He is actively orchestrating it for your good and his glory. He's not a bystander. He's not over whatever you're going through. He is in it and active and present and all-knowing and, more importantly, all-powerful to orchestrate whatever it is for his glory. So, yes, whatever you're carrying in here this morning, the call reigns true. My brothers, all of you who we love, we long for our joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. It's not a suggestion. It's the means by which we live and live joyfully. So as we dive in this morning, stand firm. And we see this in the scripture we'll get to go through between Yodia and Sintuche. And that's how you say it. Kyle helped me with that pronunciation. I have not taken a lick of Hebrew, so that will be the one time you hear me say it how it should be said. It will be Sintuhe from now on. So between Yodians and two, hey, a little bit of context of what's going on. Before you're hearing us go through this this morning and you're wondering, well, who is Yodia? Who is Sintuhe? Who is Clement? What are they fighting about? Because they are fighting. I'll go ahead and tell you, if you can go back and find it, please let me know. Because it's never made explicitly clear. And we'll see this morning that it's because it's not the main point of what God is wanting us to get out of it this morning. He doesn't need us to know who Yodia is or who Sintuhe is or who Clement is or what they're fighting about. But we need to take note of the very fact that Paul thought this to be more important, that he would specifically call them out by name, call the situation out by what is happening and what we need to take note of from it. Consider this level of importance, that the false teachers that Paul talked about earlier on in chapter 2, he only referred to as dogs and false prophets. Yet we see here a fellow believer's he calls out by name. He says, I entreat Yodian, I entreat Suntuhe to agree in the Lord. Why is this? Why is this? We'll see as we dive through it this morning. As we go into it right now, it's because the gospel isn't just something that calls us to be unified together. Right? And what I mean when I say that is, is the gospel isn't just something we hear. We don't hear about the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't hear about the work he completed and the life he raises up in us. And that's not something we hear and we respond to by going and unifying with one another. That's a very cheap look at the binding work of Christ's blood. We need to start with the understanding that the gospel is the very thing that binds us together. That is our unity 
It's not something we hear and respond to in unity. It's something we hear, and as we're hearing it, it is knitting us together as the body of Christ. Think about how intricately the body is made, all the tissues and muscles and veins all woven together, working with one another. That's how the gospel builds up the body of Christ here on the world today. It's not something that we hear, we come from four corners, and we meet in the room and talk about. It's the very thing that brings us together at our foundation. So why is this important? Well, because it's far more important than whatever it is Yodia and Sintuhe are fighting about. Even more than that, it's far more important than Yodia and Sintuhe themselves. And that's something many of us need to hear this morning. That's something I needed to hear in this preparation process. Is that unity in the gospel is far more important than one individual. Because it calls the collective body of Christ. The very thing that unifies us. So as we see Paul say, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintuhe to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who I have labored with in the gospel. We're not on a hunt to see what they're fighting about this morning. We're simply seeing that the fact is the gospel is far greater and that when believers don't recognize the importance of the gospel, there's room for divisiveness. There's room for discord. And there's no space for that in the church as we'll see this morning. But the fact of the matter is we need to take a step even further back and understand that this life is hard. That Euodia and Sintuhe may have found themselves in a place where they have labored, as Paul has said, with him in the gospel for the work of the gospel, so much so to a place that they built this foundation of themselves and which one day in time, this isn't explicit, this is just my interpretation, that one point in time they came together, whether it be on how the church should function in Philippi, whether it be in what they should be doing next as the body, and held each other's resumes up against one another. And said, well, my track record is this, this is what I think we should do, and well, mine is this, I actually think we should be doing this. So before they know it, they're not really working together to worship Christ. Instead, they're trying to get each other to worship themselves and how they think Christ should operate in their situation. Many of us can slip into this if we're not careful. In the unity of this body, we can get to a place where we think we're so right that our service to our Father more so looks like we're trying to get God to prove us to be right, to prove us to be faithful, or as the upright Christian would say, to prove our convictions to be the most true, or our convictions to be the most pure, as if we can offer anything pure to begin with apart from Christ. So before we know it, we can get into this discord as the body of Christ where we're not necessarily co-laboring, but trying to get one another to submit to us rather than Christ himself. So we can see that this morning as we take a look at this, but we need to ask the question, what is binding us together? What makes the gospel so much more important than whatever the disagreement is? What makes the gospel so much more important than even the parties that are disagreeing here this morning. It's the fact that as the body of Christ, we have all come to see and know God's glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What, who is the all here? It is the body of Christ. It is His children. It's the very thing that makes us the children of God, but also knits us together as His children, is the fact that if we can say we know Christ, then that means we've come to know His glory. And if we come together and say that every Sunday, and we function as it throughout the week, we all live under the truth 
that we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. And in that, we're all being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's not the image of one another. That's not the image of Pastor Kyle. It's not the image of your favorite YouTube preacher or dead theologian. It's the image of Christ. That's the thing that makes faithful leaders is that I know Kyle in the back would want nothing more than for you to mimic him, but rather to mimic Christ and reflect Christ. As he taught about last week, that Paul would say, mirror me as I mirror Christ. Paul doesn't leave it and say, mirror me. It's as he mirrors Christ. It's the very thing that is bringing us together, that we have seen the glory of the Lord, and because of that, we're all being transformed into the image of Christ. That means it is a messy process. It hurts. It is very muddy. It is very murky. And ministry is way darker than Hollywood or mainstream Christianity would have you believe. It's the muck and the mire that we drudge through as we're being transformed into the image of Christ. And again, leveling with one another. That is not an easy process. It's all, it is worthy of saying amen and hallelujah too, but maybe sometimes those shouts of praise and then your personal worship between your relationship with Christ and yourself, it may be rich, but sometimes it comes from a foundation of hurt and understanding that this process stings. That while death doesn't carry a sting anymore, the process of sanctification, of Christ making us more like himself, hurts. That the Bible is very visceral in the language it uses, that we ourselves are being turned over to death all day long so that Christ may be alive and live through us. So how do we reason this? How is this something we can rejoice in? How do we not end up like Euodia and Sentuhei and just bickering and arguing with one another about the best way to go about this? Again, it's recognizing the very thing we're called to stand firm in, the Lord. It's remembering the very thing we're called to behold, it's God in His glory. We do a great disservice to ourselves and one another when we submit our lives to anything else. Scripture, guys, please get this. Scripture is so incredibly beautiful and direct in the way in which it gives us the blueprint to live this life fully reliant on the Lord with supreme joy and a supreme God. That's one of my favorite things Pastor Kyle says, and it's this old Baptist adage, we need to kill. The Lord doesn't work in mysterious ways. He works in His ways. We just may not understand them all the time, but since when, we were, when were we called to? Never. We're called to see and stand in amazement and awe that our Savior would even allow us to speak to Him. That, he, that we would even be allowed to speak his name because he understands and he knows ours. Guys, Scripture is incredible in the way that it gives the clear path for this life and to have joy despite our sufferings. It's very clear that the sufferings of this present time don't even hold a candle to the glory that's waiting for us in heaven. Scripture is very clear that while we were yet weak, while we're still weak, Christ is made strong and perfect. Scripture is very clear that as we die to self, we're made alive in Christ. Scripture is very clear that we will face sufferings. The fire will come, and the only thing it's going to do to us is refine us. Scripture is very clear that when we come face to face with death, it will do nothing but take us home to our King. Scripture is very clear 
It leaves no room for debate. It leaves no room to question what your firm foundation is. It left no room for Euodians and Tuhe, for Paul to call them to be in agreement in the Lord. It leaves no room for either one of them to think, well, maybe my way is right, or maybe your way is right. The Lord's way is the one that sustains us. Scripture is very clear. And we are very simple in the way that we see this truth and yet still go through life wondering when God will provide. (coughs) Do we hear that? All the promises that Scripture lays out, yet we still go through life day to day wondering when the Lord will answer our prayers, wondering when the Lord will make our paths clear, Wondering when the Lord will give us that answer? We are incredible creatures only in the way that we see the very thing that is our life. We see the very way we're called to live life. We see the very thing that sustains us. We see the thing that raises us up. We know the Savior and His cross that we deserved. We know the grace of God that even allows us to breathe. Yet we are so amused with shiny things that we build our lives on them until they rust and decay and fall through. And we're left on the bedrock, wondering, looking around, thinking, what happened? We get a year in to building our own sandcastle kingdom until the smallest wave comes and takes away everything you toiled for. And we're left picking it back up as it's muddy and it's ruined, thinking, what happened? Guys, Scripture is very clear. We're not our own foundation. We can fall into, rather than rejoicing in Christ as a part of His body, we begin to live and think and speak and operate as if we're the very cornerstone of His church. Do you hear that this morning? We see that Christ who has come and on the back of his sacrifice is the thing that the church is built on. Yet when we look at ourselves more higher than we ought, we treat and act and live as if we're the very cornerstone that everyone else should operate around. There is immediate discord that comes with that. There is immediate room for doubt and letting one another fall when we make ourselves out to be the standard. That's the very reason Paul is calling those believers out by name, the situation out for what it is. While there were false teachers damning others to hell, in chapter 2, they were simply labeled as dogs and false prophets. But again, fellow believers, co-laborers in the gospel that Paul relied on in his ministry, He's calling out by name. Why is that? I'd have to imagine that Euodia and Sintuhe were stuck in the middle of this. Because whatever they were agreeing on, it surely wasn't in the Lord like Paul was telling them to. Otherwise, he wouldn't be telling them to. I think we can draw from this that neither of them were right. That there wasn't going to be a winner in their situation. But that instead, Paul would have otherwise written, Euodia, maybe listen to Sintuhe on this one. Or Clement, telling Clement to say, hey, Sintuhe, Euodia's probably got this one. Right? He didn't do that. There wasn't a reason to. Again, because they weren't agreeing in the Lord. Something to understand about the context is that they were also not only called out by name simply because they were faithful churchgoers, but they were very faithful builders of the church of Philippi, Clement included. (coughs) Pillar members of what the Lord was doing in his church of Philippi. 
So that meant even more so that their disagreement carried far more weight and that it could have split the church in two, lest it not be met face on with the truth and the call to stand firm in the Lord. And I think we need to take a step back and understand the seriousness of this that Proverbs 6 shows us. And if you hear anything this morning, please let it be this. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. This reads, There are six things that the Lord hates. Not a typo, not a glitch. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. There are six things that the Lord hates. And seven, he counts to be an abomination. We can draw from the context of the scripture, and the seventh thing the Lord counts to be an abomination, one who sows discord among brothers. And your walk, as you plug in to a church home, as you serve faithfully in the body of Christ, what are you encouraging your brothers and sisters to submit their lives to? We would count it here that it's simply an overflow of what you're submitting your life to. I mean that when I say you can't go to one another and say, submit your life to the Lord, stand firm in the Lord. It would sound so cheap rolling off the tongue if you were standing firm and sinking sand of yourself. And more times than not, if you take this example, Tyler and I, having done life for 20 years together, he can know if I come to him on a Monday and say, amen, brother, the Lord is good, stand firm. He can look at me like a joke if that past week I did nothing but wallow in my sin and self-pity. But in today's society, in today's mainstream Christianity, that's mean Hurt feelings, sticks and stones, and words hurt the most. Please don't confuse sowing discord with righteous accountability. It's something we are all called to do for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. In the same breath, 20 years together, there have been countless times we have come alongside one another, looked each other dead in the eyes, and lovingly said, you are wrong, you are sowing seeds of death, that's why you feel like you're dying. Him to me, and me to him. That was the most loving thing we could have done at that point in time. That was the very thing that brotherhood, sisterhood, the body of Christ is built on. Take a look at the cross. It's simply overflow of what Christ did. Our reconciliation to one another simply starts with how Christ reconciled us to himself. The cross being the chief tool that happened, the very tree that was planted in the ground to say, this is the death you deserved because of the life you lived. Here is your Savior who lived the one you couldn't. And is giving you the life that you could never in a million years dream of or earn or do anything to conjure up. Christ reconciled us to himself. That is our standard of reconciliation. Perhaps the most loving thing that some of us could hear this morning is stop sowing seeds of death as you try to prove yourself right. Why? Why? The Lord has already proved himself supreme. That is our very thing we rest in. That's the very thing that gives us life as we step out in obedience and spur one another into righteousness. 
not our own standard of behavior or how we should act. If we do that, then it's nothing but an act. Please hear that. Don't confuse sowing discord with righteous accountability. Luke 17.3 says it this way, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Do, do we understand the definition of rebuke? Paul and Peter gave some pretty good examples in Scripture where Peter would be in a crowd of a false teacher and would hear lies. One of the things the Lord hates and he would stand up and say, heretic, blasphemy. But why? Not to prove himself right, but because he was so in awe of his God that he couldn't let those in the crowd hear lies that would nail them shut to death. Do we love one another well enough to hold each other accountable to the standard of Christ? If we're not doing this, if we're not doing what Luke calls us to do, we practically hate one another. And I know you might hear that and think, oh my gosh, my mom told me, don't use that word unless you mean it. <laughs> I mean it. If you're seeing your brother and sister live in such a way, they're, they're simply walking into death and you're not rebuking them you're not calling them to repent in Christ you're not loving them well enough to sit in the pocket with them as they go through the hurt and the toil then we hate each other we're doing nothing but escorting them to their grave Why do we think the world is so slow to take part in the body of Christ today? Can we take any guesses? Maybe it's because we don't take calls like this seriously. Maybe it's because we don't truly love the Lord like we say we do. Because if we did, we would certainly love one another far better than what the world is seeing today. That we wouldn't just hurl rocks from a glass house until we ourselves have been reconciled to Christ. And please hear me say on the heels of all that, the only room in what you call one another to repentance is from your own foundation of repentance. That, that is very true. You have to remove the plank from your own eye. Can you imagine if Christians at large today took this call seriously, can you imagine if, if, just dream and think with me, if the people in this room loved the Lord enough and viewed his holiness for what it is, that we truly submitted our lives to it. That we wake up every day and preach the gospel to ourselves. That we take heart. We stand firm in the Lord. And from that, we can repent and from that, we can call one another to repentance. And it doesn't equate to splitting into two house churches. And it doesn't equate into somebody falling off because they didn't feel love. But it equates to wrapping one another up in our very arms. What, what would the world's response be if the church actually started to love one another as Christ loved us? What could it be? Because guys, here's the truth of the matter. Church, in our present state, we're still all being transformed. Remember, it is messy, it hurts, it stings, it cuts. There are fights, there are rebukings that sometimes aren't received well. There are fights. Sometimes we need time. But the standard is always stand firm thus in the Lord. We are beholding His glory, not one another's righteousness. What if we walked in that? It doesn't have to be a what if. It's the very thing we're called to do. It just takes work. It, 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 there is friction. 
and guys, honestly, despite what the world would tell you today, some of the most prosperous times of your life isn't what's on the other side of your blessing. It's not what's on the other side of your prayer. It's not getting the answer you wanted to get. It's through the fights you have with one another. It's through the darkest days of your life that you have trying to reason with the Lord as you wrestle with his grace. It's the most growing, richest, joy-saturated times of our lives. Do you understand that? Paul, who spent most of his life in chains, is our standard for being content. (laughs) What more do we need? When we don't acknowledge this, we lose sight of the very blood that unifies us. We turn into two parties who need rebuke and need a faithful reminder to stand firm and agree in the Lord. We need to hear the loving call and cry that the Lord is the one who is right. The Lord is the one that holds you. But if we fail to forget this, there is no way we can act as obedient parts of the body of Christ. There's no way. If we don't get this, if we don't understand this, if we don't get the foundation of unity, if we don't understand unity itself, first with us in Christ as individuals and then as the collective body of the church, if we don't understand this, it's in vain. We might get it here and there, but guys, if we try to supplant the Lord's kingdom with the foundation of self, you will be crushed. A lot of us, and we got to talk about this in MC, I got to hash this out with Ty, a lot of us are so enthralled by the fact that we'll get to share in the Lord's glory. That's that's the very thing that can sustain us to the end, but if we only look at that, if we only walk around with our heads up and we miss the fact that we're called to share in His sufferings, It's like we're walking on glass and we don't even know what's cutting us. When we forget the very thing that unifies us, being Christ's blood, we can't operate as faithful members of the body of Christ. Did you catch that? As the body of Christ. There is no plan B. There is no alternative. And everyone in here needs to hear this. Myself being the most, there's no alternative to being plugged in and a faithful servant of the body of Christ. And I know what some of you may be thinking. And I know the situations and scenarios. I was just where you were at not too long ago. If you're a college student, if you're a parent, I no, I'm not. <laughs> but guys, if there was an alternative to this, the Lord would have given it. If there was an alternative to his kingdom being the thing that holds us here until we're home with him, he would have given it. If it was true and right that we could worship anywhere, yes, even in the PJs at home, if we could watch a man on a screen from a performance give a speech and call it church, he would have provided that as an alternative. If his plan was house churches, he would have given that as an alternative. And I know what you're thinking. I have my college community on Wednesday nights, and I have small groups on Fridays. I'm getting plenty of Christ. I don't need to plug into a faithful body. That is a lie. Stop believing it. If that was true, Christ would have given you that alternative, but he didn't. He's calling us to reconciliation in his body. There's no substitute. So are you hearing me say this and you're saying, well, are you saying my faith is performance-based, that I show up every Sunday and I have to read my Bible every day? No, I'm not saying your faith is, but your obedience certainly is. And from your obedience, your very means of life, how rich and full it may seem, that is the very sustenance. 
Again, if there was an alternative, he would have given it. But there's not. And hear me say this. Just because man and just because we can think up these schemes that appease ourselves, no, it doesn't mean that the Lord's not using them. No, it doesn't mean that he's not faithful through our disobedience or others' disobedience. But it doesn't mean it was his plan A because it wasn't. Please hear me say this. The context of the church of Philippi was rooted in it being the church. What have we established if you've been here for more than 30 seconds at the branch? If you are in Christ, you are the church. Do we see the disconnect in verbiage? That if we think our obedience in prayer and our obedience in saturating our lives in the word of God is something that works for the health of the church, if we get the disconnect and we think that it's for the health of the church, but in our brains that immediately points to the health of the branch church Milledgeville, that it can be self-sustaining through tithe and that the, burning doesn't, that the building doesn't burn down, then we miss the point. It's for the health of the church. It's for your health. It is for your life. Not some building. Not some alternative. Not for whatever college gathering you partake in throughout the week that you're building your life on. I'm saying this in love as somebody who's tried to do it, as our college gathering tried to for its first couple years, and we're being crushed until we got to submit to the Branch Church Milledgeville. It, it is, it's impossible because you can't do it. I'm not knocking your ability. I'm just saying you were never meant to do that. Christ didn't come and show you himself. Christ didn't die to build the foundation of the church just so we could hop back and forth on lily pads until we sink. Guys, get this this morning. Yodians and Tuhe are called to agree to stand firm in the Lord. Paul can call on another member of the church to say, please make sure these women agree, not so that Paul could be right, not so that they could hash out their differences. And we're not calling one another out this morning to agree in the Lord just so that we could prove ourselves to be right or just so that you could go to whoever it is you're fighting with after this and say, I told you so. We're doing it because the gospel is more important. That your life, your sustenance is rooted in obedient response to the work of Christ, not trying to replace it with either your own sufficiency or anything other that acts as a cheap imitation. Guys, God didn't offer alternatives. He sent His Son, and His Son died saying, It is finished. And that's just not, that's not a cheap tagline that Passion got to run a couple years ago just for a campaign. It's a sending and finalizing work of Christ that it is finished. You are unified in the body of Christ. You are made alive through his sacrifice. You are knit together both from your womb and to your life through obediently responding to the call of the gospel. It is finished. There is no plan B. There is no alternative other than being solidified and resolute that Christ is enough. Is your life reflecting that Christ is enough? Not just for yourself, but think about this if you have a younger sibling. Does it show them Christ is enough? Think about it for your unbelieving roommate. Does your obedience in the gospel show them that it's enough? Think about this if you have an unbelieving parent or sibling. Does your obedience in the gospel show them that it's enough? More than that, friends, does your love for your Savior? I love the final verse. It says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me and the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, catch this, whose names are in the book of life. If you don't know this, 
are not scriptures very beautiful in the way that it holds Christ and this Bible and the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word also being equated to the book of life if you are in Christ your name was etched into Christ before the foundation of the world does your life reflect it praise God that he didn't leave us to our own devices. Praise God that we're not each other's standard of obedience or glory. Praise God that whatever home life you came from, whatever absent father you had, that was not the depiction and glory of God. Praise God that no matter how broken your home is, that is not reflectant of the body of Christ. Praise God that while you've been burned by a church and your past, you are now welcome home into a healthy one that said, so have I, join us. Praise God that you aren't meant to carry yourself. Stop trying. Christ came himself and said that he himself was enough. That's the very thing that Paul is calling the church of Philippi to be unified in. John Owen, who I just love and respect, says it this way. To suppose that whatever God requireth of us that we have power of ourselves to do is to make the cross and grace of Jesus Christ of none effect. If your life is living out this narrative that it's an additive to the cross, friend, you haven't gotten the full picture of the cross. And if you haven't, rejoice. Do not feel shame. Do not feel brokenhearted. Do not turn and run from the Holy Spirit stirring up your heart even now. Praise God that you get to realize the true foundation of life. Praise God that at 13, 14, I got to fall on my back and be picked up by a family who loves me and brothers who held me. That even though a local body would have rather lied for the first 13 years of my life, Christ himself reigned true. If that's you this morning, praise God, let us rejoice with you. It's not something to turn and flee from. It's the very thing we run to. It's the very one that carries us through this life. Because again, as we started, this life is hard. It will take us and break us down. But guys, let me ask you this. Was it ever meant to do anything else? Seriously. Press into this. I know it's an out there thought. Is this life our home? No. Is this life our riches? Is this where we're called to, to sow and reap? Absolutely not. Why do we expect it to be anything else? That's why this time is so rich to us. That is why we love you. That's why as we pray for you, we can pray. My brothers, my sisters, our joy, our crown... And that's why we can call, stand firm thus in the Lord. He is your foundation. He takes your heart and plants it in his deepest soil without anything you have to offer. Other than the sin that buries us in the first place. Guys, rejoice. If we just do this, if we catch a wind of this, if we get disobedience, if we get what rebuke is meant for, if we get what repentance is meant for, if we see reconciliation as more than just uh, social justice issues, if we see that Christ is in the business of reconciling his children to himself, if we can reflect to the world that we have been reconciled, maybe, just maybe, our lost brothers and sisters might just get a glimpse of what it means to be made whole in Christ. But that's not going to happen until we ourselves recognize the wholeness of Christ. 
until we can subject ourselves to the one who subjects all things to himself and says, I am who I am. It is finished and you are sent. So be sent. Because we all are. It's just a matter of how well we're doing it. Rejoice. Repent. And believe in the one who calls you and gives you belief. Christ is enough. If you've realized for the first time that you aren't amen and hallelujah, find us in the back so we can fellowship with you for the first time as a brother and sister. And if you already know Christ, are you reflecting to the world that you love Christ? Or have you just been content talking about him and watching stuff about him? Guys, it's our dream, it's our hope, it's our prayer that we would just catch fire with this, not so that we could get the next big experience, but that we could take a true hope to the world. Look at our neighborhood. (laughs) I don't know if any of you college students have driven around. There's a reason Milledgeville is up to its neck in poverty. There's a reason that almost every week there's a new shooting and a new 15-year-old that's gunned down. There's a reason that on our college there are brothers and sisters who don't yet believe in the Lord and are dying and will die eternally separated. Maybe it's because Christ Church hasn't truly gotten its life. Maybe it's because instead of looking at Christ's fullness, we're trying to do it ourselves. Please be freed up. Repent. Believe and rejoice. Christ never made you the foundation of your life. So, as Paul entreated Euodia and Sintuhe to stand firm thus in the Lord, I entreat you all in Christ. If you know the Lord, your name is etched into his sacrifice. It is written in the book of life. Stand firm. Be resolute. The creator of the universe holds you in his palm. And not just you, but all things. Amen. Amen. Father, we come before you and we give you praise. Knowing that you alone are worthy, God. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you free us up from having to carry ourselves. That God, you see a dead people and you don't leave them to their own deadly devices, but you give them life. You have given us life. You have made us alive through your spirit. God, I pray in love that for the believer in the room, that whatever they're making the foundation of their life, that you would just strip it away and lovingly break them back unto yourself. God, for the one in here this morning who has come to realize your fullness, maybe for the first time, that no matter what walk of life they've come from, no matter what background they have, no matter what prior church experience, God, that they would, maybe for the first time, understand that maybe, God, There are new brothers and sisters whose veil has been lifted and they have beheld your glory. Father, if that's the case, please give them the courage to come to one of us and let us pursue you together. God, we give you all the praise. You alone are worthy and we relish in that and we abide. Father, please hold us until the end. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.